Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley-Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. While the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. The Penile Rehabilitation Program was created by Melissa at Restorative Sexual Health. This is an online program to assist turning software into hardware without leaving your home. This program was designed for people who live in areas where access to health professionals in this area is not available, or for those who are just too busy to attend consults, or even for those who just feel more comfortable learning at home with online learning and consultations online. For more information about this program, please go to www.rshealth.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health, so prost to you. November 11th. 11 a.m. 60 seconds kids watch on the wall in the pub in the tab in the cars we welcome to the penis project podcast today we're talking to picasso who is very creative and so joe and i are talking to him today about his prostate cancer journey which this is a really good news story and i think it's really nice to have good news stories because we often hear the negatives about having prostate cancer treatment and we don't hear the positives so Picasso had his surgery in May 2020, and by June, he had 50% erectile function, and he's doing amazing. You're now 12 months post-op. Is that right, Picasso? Uh, Nearly two years. Nearly two years now. Yeah. So tell us about your journey and how you found it. And, I mean, you're a really positive guy. So, um, yeah, tell us about what's happened with you. Um, yeah, well, my um, journey began in yeah, 2020. So um, I had for a couple of years a fluctuating PSA. Um, you know, when it would get to a point where it was too high, my GP would say, um, you know, would just go one more time. And if anything, um, if it continues, we'll we'll have it checked up. And it always went down. So it went up and down. And um, so um, it happened that I, this went on for a year or two. It happened that I went to, uh, I changed, I moved houses and I was living in a new area and um, uh, had a, a new GP and showed her my past PSA results. And um, she said, look, I would go straight away and get it checked. So I went and had it checked. And so that was about the, um, 11th of February in 2020, I had that referral. Um, uh, I then made 
contact uh, with the, the um, specialist who sent me for an MRI, which I had, um, and then 27th of February, I had an appointment with the specialist uh, who said the MRI said I needed to have a biopsy. So I went down the path of um, having the biopsy um, 23rd of March. Uh, the results of the biopsy came back, which uh, had a, a um, Gleason score of seven, a four plus three, and the four was in the 60%. Um, so um, uh, I immediately started thinking all sorts of crazy things and getting anxious, and in the background was COVID because this was the very time that um, COVID was detected in WA. We went into restrictions and um, um, uh, elective surgery was being, um, was being canned and only essential surgery was, being, was happening. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a, a very anxious time um, and not knowing what was happening um, in the world as well made it, made it difficult as well. Um, so um, I was booked in for surgery on the 30th of April um, and um, had the, the surgery with the um, uh, robotic robot-assisted uh, radical prostatectomy. So having discussed with my specialist the options, his only um, thing that he specialised in was, was surgery. But I, he also showed me other options that were available and I read up on those, but I was happy to go with what, what he said. Um, and um, so the surgery, um, after the surgery, um, it was good to see a, a smiling specialist. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was, was contained within the, the capsule. It, it, uh, the, um, the Gleason score was, was the same in the biopsy from it. Um, at a seven, um, but it was at a 40% of the four. I don't understand all the terminology, but um, it was a little bit less than what they thought originally. Um, but he, he felt confident that it had been removed uh, uh, in, within what, what had happened in the surgery. So that was really good, uh, really good news. So, um, so that's sort of my the timeline of what happened. Um, uh, sorry, it's just Joe here just dropping in. Uh, yeah. I'm curious, you had you would have had the normal period of catheter in for about a week. Yes. And I'm curious, we are focusing on your sexual function. Um, yeah. From Melissa's point of view, we haven't met before. Uh, yeah. How was your continence? How was your bladder control at the beginning? Yeah, well, this this was one of the surprises for me because um, you know you prepare yourself for the worst, and and you get you know when you um, get advice beforehand, you know the speak to the continence nurse. She says you know stock up on some some pads, and um, uh, and so that was some continence pads, and I thought okay, this is a new experience for me going shopping shopping for continence pads. The same when the catheter was removed. And so I was expecting um, that I would be having some sort of leakage from, for some time. Um, the extraordinary thing was I had none. I didn't need the pads. Um, it was really um, uh, 
quite remarkable and I felt very fortunate that I went down that, you know, um, and things have been good ever since, you know. There was there was that uh, that sort of apprehension of what was going on and sure. should it be happening or not, but it, it worked. It never well. deteriorated. Did you get no. a chance to work with a physio beforehand at all? Yeah, and I think a lot of things uh, really worked out well for me. Um, I had... Um, I had already been seeing a, a pelvic floor physio because I hold a lot of tension in my pelvic floor, you know. Oh, um, yes. And so I was having work with her to help relax my pelvic floor. Um, and so I'd actually been seeing her for a couple of years. And so when I had the diagnosis, it was like we'd already had a good understanding. I had a good understanding of my pelvic floor, how to um, keep it strong, how to relax it, um, what my challenges were with it. And, um, and she, was, she was, you know, she gave me booklets uh, to prepare me for the surgery, gave me things, exercises beforehand, the exact steps that I needed after surgery, getting, getting both my pelvic floor working well, but also my, um, the rest of my body working well. And so I really felt affirmed by her. Uh, she also flagged with me the importance of seeing um, sexual health practitioner before the surgery. And that hadn't been raised with my specialist. So that was when I got in contact with Melissa and I happened to see her. She fitted me in like the day before my surgery. And um, that was another point where I was really reassured because your brain's going, oh my gosh, yeah. all these things, yeah. possibilities. And when I saw Melissa, she was saying, well, hang on, there's all these things, these options that are available. You know, it doesn't just, you're not just left at the, the whim of whatever happens. There's things that can be done. So that was really reassuring for me as well. So I felt like I had a really good team around me in the specialists, in a, in a pelvic floor physio and in a sexual health practitioner. You did. And I think preparation is a major key. And the fact that you had a really good understanding of what was going to happen and how you're going to be looked after. You can basically share your, your um, side effects with others. They can come to the rescue with you. And so yeah. that off offloads a lot of pressure just on you as the individual, I find. And it's, yeah. there's nothing worse than meeting someone who's a year or two down the track struggling with all of these um, yes. issues that has never had the opportunity to, to be prepared. So... Um, one great thing is that if you are someone who naturally has a tight pelvic floor, then you're the guys that are actually going to be continent fastest. I've found that as well. So although it okay. caused you some strife, it's yeah. almost so so bound up and so tight that it holds everything in. So yeah, um, yeah it's quite quite uh, interesting to hear that you had had that pelvic floor tightness before the surgery, had managed to um, work with a physio who helped you relax it but then when the time came to it needing to be tight it was so yeah that, that's really wonderful that you more or less skip that aspect of the post-op recovery but I'm I'm really curious about what your specialist informed you about the nerve sparing procedure that he was able to do uh, in your surgery did you get much discussion about that because that can also be a big key to the continence and the erectile function uh, recovery yeah look there's a lot a lot going on and I didn't realize the complexity of 
of where the prostate is and how many nerves are in that area. Um, so um, all I knew was that, that with the robotic assisted surgery, that he was able to be very precise and to um, only um, uh, interfere with the nerves that were needed, that needed um, attention. He didn't have to, yeah, he, did, he could spare other, other nerves. So I don't know what that means technically, um, but I've, I've felt that that particular method uh, led to that precision. So um, I've seen your histopathology and you had yeah. very, very good nerve sparing, which was excellent. Yeah. And I'm not sure, but I think I remember that you were also doing Pilates before the surgery as well, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Um, I was doing um, a couple of things. So there was a lot of things that sort of worked in my favour, um, which I didn't plan or didn't know, but I was doing because uh, I like to be physically active. Um, and I like to sort of be in tune with what my, my body's doing. And so I, I do, I was doing Pilates two times a week. I was doing yoga once or twice a week. And it was, um, it was um, a yin yoga, which is more mindful yoga rather than a, you know, a, a hard workout. It's really connecting uh, that to that and listening to your body and being in tune with your body. So I'd been doing that for probably two or three years beforehand. Um, and again, because I had a lot of anxiety in my body, you know, the tension in my body, and I went to yin yoga to help me with that, and it, and it did. Um, the thing was with um, COVID, um, I couldn't go to the classes anymore. <laughs> so I, this was like a, um, a, a, a benefit of COVID was I set up a room, which I'm in it right at the moment in my house, which I cleared a space. And I would do the yoga and um, meditation in this room. It was an, an empty space. I would be able to create a nice atmosphere for Wonderful. just listening to myself and what was going on within myself. And um, um, I think that really helped a lot because leading in, I had all this anxiety going on. But I also had a space where I could just go and calm. I could, I could let go. I could just... Um, uh, connect with with what was happening within me, which was really helpful going into the surgery, um, and and afterwards as well. Your sexual function, you were like really great with your continence, and you were particularly ahead of the curve as well with your sexual function. So tell us about that. What happened? Um, yeah, well, that was. Uh, I, I suppose you go into it. Um, you know, just the risk is there you don't know what you're going to come out with so um, um, just to um, you know the, the the week after I suppose the catheter is taken out or, or after that period of time you're sort of becoming aware of where, where the body's at now and you're sort of very sensitive to um, what's going on well I was very sensitive to what was going on and um, and, and how things were happening but um, because I had some good knowledge about knowing that it takes time for the reconnection of nerves and knowing that it took a six-week time of healing of the soft tissue and all of that, I was sort of just happy just to allow that healing to happen in the body but do the little bits that I needed. So um, as, as soon as I started to get some sensation in, uh, in the penis again, it was really 
I was excited, you know, because you're excited. Yeah. You know, I didn't know what I would feel. Would I lose my libido? Would I lose the sensation? Would it be like a numb feeling? Or and it wasn't. It wasn't any of that. Um, so the libido. Soon after, how soon after the surgery did you start to get that feeling? Oh, gee. Um, I would say probably two or three weeks. I, you know, it was nothing major, but it was it was like okay, this this is feeling okay, right? Um, yeah. So, um, and I'm increasingly seeing guys like you who recover quicker. I always joke with some of the surgeons saying, you know, if you keep doing this, I'll be out of a job because there's increasingly men who are doing much better and um yeah. so i've when you did use the pump didn't you you were using a vacuum three to four times a week for exercise yeah yeah so um that was a whole the whole um going into the unknown again you know something i'd never done before so um working out how to use it or where to buy it how to use it um so the first pump that i went with was the hydro pump, so the use of the water for the yeah creating that suction effect. Um, I didn't find that was that practical because it I could only use it in the shower, and so it meant standing under the water for a long time. And um, I found then that the the vacuum was was more a practical um, practical thing. Um, so um, you know it was just. I suppose I was my mindfulness took me into it just not judging what was happening but just noticing you know so to see how a pump could produce this erection you know was just quite amazing and that you, you could use a ring to hold that um, and that was another benefit of the the vacuum was that the ring is attached to the pump so that once you have used the pump and you take it away that the ring can hold the the blood flow uh, in the penis. So, you know, for me, this was great news that these functions were were still there. I mean, I'd, I'd gone down the path of thinking I might have nothing, you know, the risk is that all this could be gone, but I was so excited that these things were, were uh, uh, there was all these things were possible and, and they were, yeah. And let me, you know, I know that you were brought up as a Catholic and yeah. I remember once, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that you felt like there was a lot of guilt around sex and sexual function. And so that must have been quite confronting for you to use a pump, was it? I'm just... Um, in, in some ways, um, yes, but in, in other ways it was liberating. <laughs> yeah, Okay. <laughs> When you're when you're young and impressionable, and you have these core beliefs that are instilled in you um, around sexuality, and and with the Catholic Church, there were some core beliefs which was, you know which were very helpful, but there are other core beliefs which created an unhealthy guilt and and shame, and it was almost like you know when you had sex education, the you got the biology of the body yes. <laughs> and how it works. But you never went into the discussion of the of the intimacy side of the of the arousal, the the, the pleasure side, the the um, relationship side. So that was sort of not discussed. It was like that was out there. So that was sort of put into the shadows. 
Um, and so you're sort of your the approach was okay. You you don't touch yourself. You you know you, the, there's a purpose for the penis and and um, um, that it's for creation of life and you know for showing love to your partner. And um, but to understand that there was no education. So, um, uh, but it was also very connected to sin as well. And, you know, that, that um, exploration of this area is, is a, something to be cautious about. So um, uh, when, um, uh, you know, there's something I've probably, that's been that inner struggle through, throughout mm -hmm. your life, you know, the, the, the penis is this sort of battleground of, of producing life, but it's also, you know, a place of caution and and yeah. uh, and and you know, obviously, fear is used to to get you to follow what the religion says in that sense. So, in using the the, the pump, um, it, it, it was the liberation was because it, it, it's an ongoing journey. Because I didn't I didn't buy into that, and I had a wife who did buy into that and supported me with that, um, but. Um, there was this affirmation in, you know, getting to know the penis in a way I hadn't before. So um, that this this is a part of a part of the body that does deserve attention. It does deserve compassion. It does deserve love, and it does deserve an understanding of, of not only how it works, but how it connects to your identity, how it connects to your your spirit, um, how it connects to your relationships. So. Um, you know, the, the journey with the penis pumps was something that um, brought new insights and, um, yeah. It's almost like this whole journey gave you permission to actually pay attention to your sexuality, isn't it? Yeah, it did. It did, it, you know, because it was really something to, to from, a, from a, a, lim a limited core belief that I got in a younger age, it was something that sort of you, you don't give attention to um uh that um that um you know it's connected that to to go down a path of of giving attention is is the risk of sin yeah um, so so it, it was freeing to give me this permission to be acquainted with my penis you know and so yeah. it was liberating from that point of view right now, can I just also, so where is your sexual function at now? So I know, but no one else does. So it's two years. <laughs> yeah, so where are you now? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm saying I'm, I'm up at a, going, I'm, I'm up at about where I was pre-surgery. Perfect. You know? So, yeah, so um, I'm still um, taking the um, Tadalafil mm -hmm. um, on a daily basis, uh, which, um, um, and if I miss a couple of days or whatever doesn't seem to affect things too much. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, as far as um, intimacy goes and everything is going really good and that that didn't take long to happen uh, after, you know, that, that first sort of three or four weeks. Yeah. Um, but it, it also, you know, it was about reimagining what intimacy was as well, you know, that intimacy isn't... Just about the penis going into the vagina. It's, it's, it, there's all sorts of, um, and, and this is something I'd already known anyway. But um, yeah. 
but intimacy is is um, uh, it's um, it's about that relationship and and you know orgasm doesn't rely on ejaculation. Um, yes, that's right. And so also, I, also I think insights. that, and I think also that we all become so penis centric when it comes to sex, heterosexual yeah. sex, anyway. And I think yeah. this is a real opportunity for people to go, hang on, there's heaps of other stuff we do that is classed as sex that isn't penis in vagina, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. How, and it kind of in, makes when things aren't necessarily functioning like they used to, you get this opportunity to explore those more than before. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I think, and as I said, it's something sort of I'd already known, you know. Yes. But, um, but you know, that there is that pressure of, you know, being able to, to perform intercourse, you know. So, um, again, that was, there was a lot of, um, joy in finding that it's okay intimacy isn't totally dependent on that yeah can I just ask you Picasso how long do you think it took to get to your what we call back to baseline or pre-operative sexual function because it you've said it two years it's it's there but I just wondered if it's been there for a while given uh, that you're about 50% okay within a couple of weeks of surgery yeah look I think um it, it, it's been an up and down journey and, and um, you know, to be consistent, I'd, I'd probably say um, 14 to 16 months. Um, but, um, you know, part of that is, you know, you, you return to work, you've got things happening in your life as well. There's, um, there was, there's COVID going on, there's, there's all sorts of things that were, yeah. were going on. So, um, uh, so um, you know, I, th I think at a consistent baseline, it was probably from about 14, 14 months, but I had enough experience of, of reaching baseline before that to know it was, it was happening, you know, it, it was heading in the right direction. Can I just ask something as well there? Is you, this kind of made you reassess Actually, first up, tell us how old you are, Picasso, because I'm thinking that some guys your age might be listening and going, oh, he's probably 45. How old are you? Yes, yeah, so I'm 61. Exactly. There you go. That's great news. So just everyone out there that's thinking, I bet this guy's really young. He's not. He's just an average age. He was 59. Yeah. Um, 59 but, surgery, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really promising for people. And then the other thing that's really struck me about you, Picasso, when we've spoken is you've just got this amazingly positive attitude to life. And I think you said to me once something along the lines of you want to go into your sixties thriving and, and, and you've certainly done that. So I think this whole prostate journey has been a bit of a trigger for you to make some major changes in your life, hasn't it? Uh, definitely been a trigger to move me into, into action. You know, it, it had been a thought I'd had in my, in my late fifties that, um, you start thinking ahead to your second half of life. And I'd come across a lot of guys who had had that goal of retirement, you know, and, and just um, just hanging on for that retirement. And it was literally hanging on. And when they got there, you know, they had the plan for travel or the van around Australia. And um, 
they um, often got sick. You know, they would retire and they would be, end up in hospital. Having, having yeah, we all, knew those, that. all those plans go down the tube. And so I, I noticed that in my 50s and um, I thought, oh, this whole having this goal of retirement, I, I want to retire now. <laughs> I, want to, I want to have that spirit of retirement now. I want to have that, all those things. Well, because I'm, I'm healthy and I'm, you know, I'm able to, to do things. So um, I, um, I had that thought, but it probably wasn't until I had the, the prostate cancer and the surgery that I thought oh, I want to bring this into action. You know, not not just have it as a as an idea. And um, and my my dream was to really th thrive. I wanted to not just hang on doing work that I didn't find was satisfying. I wanted to do work that gave me joy because I didn't want to stop working. I didn't want to. I wanted to do an amount of work that was healthy and it was good for my energy and for my lifestyle and gave me time with home and family and following other interests, things that may be unfulfilled in my life, you know, follow my creative urges, you know, and see see what my... Picasso is. in you. <laughs> my Picasso coming out, that's right, yeah. So um, um, I... Um, the, 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 following the surgery, I went back into this sort of the dry period in my work where I wasn't finding that satisfaction and it was a hard slog and... And so I thought, no, I want to, I want to make this change. And so um, again, I, I felt like I needed support. I ended up having a coach um, who helped me for six months make that transition and held me accountable. So it wasn't just something I had in my mind. I was, I had this person I could <clears throat> talk to and um, <coughs> excuse me, ask me questions. Um, who could help me to um connect with who I am at this stage of my life because you know I think one of the things for guys is our identity is often bound with our career. So when we finish work is that confrontational who I, who am I without work? And mm. so um, part of my transition has been this year to go into casual work. And so I'm only doing the amount of work that um, that that I find joy in doing um, and that gives me time to get to develop the other side of me, do other things in life to take care of my health um, and get to understand my identity more apart from my working identity. Um, and you also changed roles, didn't you? So the role that you now have is very, um, and I'm not sure if you want to tell us what that is, but your role that you have now is very um like you're helping other people in a very large, in a on a large scale, aren't you? So that's very rewarding. Is that right? Oh, very much. Yeah, it is really rewarding work, and um, um, part of what I like to do and what gives me bliss is is listening to people and and listening to their stories and um, and so the work I do is is meeting people in times of crisis with their health or with um, um, it can be at their end of life journey and um, um, I am uh, able just to be be with them in that journey just to, to listen to support and to um, um, honor their journey uh, be a sounding board for them so 
yeah, it's very fulfilling work, and so I'm getting a lot of joy out of it. But um, but having the space around it where I'm not doing it full time is it makes it really good too because I'm I'm able to enjoy that fulfilment rather than do it as a as a slog. Yeah, I know. Um, I've worked in palliative care many years ago now, and I remember people always were like, "Isn't it depressing?" And I thought it's just such a rewarding job yeah. to be able to support someone at that time of their life and yeah I can imagine that particularly for someone like you that's really rewarding and given you great purpose yeah and it, it, you meet people at a point of you know honesty in their life as well which I really enjoy those conversations um, but you know one of the my experiences with with the cancer was that um, I, I didn't want my um, who I was to be determined by cancer, you know, um, to the point where I didn't share a lot with other people that I had cancer uh, because I don't want to be defined by the cancer. I want to be defined as a person, as a human being. And so part of the work that I do now is that when I meet people, I don't what their, their health circumstances are or what stage they're at in their end of their life. That's not what I go to meet. I mean, go to meet the, the person, you know, get to know yeah. them. What's their story? What are their interests? What are their things that they, what's their character? Who, who are they? So um, I get a lot of joy out of just, um, uh, you know, because often people who are going through the journey of cancer, the, their encounters are pe- with people who are medical people and um, who look at them according to their test results or their scans or their, and so to actually just to spend time with them and have a chat with them as, as a human being. And not as a, also not as a family member who's within their social dynamics of the family um, can produce really rewarding um, things for, for me and and for them. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. So I think it sounds to me like you've achieved your goal of thriving in your sixties. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I'm. I, I now know why Melissa wanted to interview you because it's a very refreshing story, and um, a lot of guys do find they hit a brick in the road or a bump in the road should I say at this time when they're spending their whole lives um, serving others working working hard and looking forward to retirement and then get bowled over by a bit of a diagnosis like this so quite a few guys actually get a chance to reassess themselves often for the first time in life and you've really tapped in and tuned into yourself which is really lovely to see so yeah thanks for sharing that whole yeah. story Picasso it's really beautiful no, my pleasure yeah no it was great thank you so much really appreciate it is there anything you would like to say to anyone listening before you go um oh look I think the, the one of the, the a lot of key things that helped me um in the journey uh, but there were also a lot of things that I was fortunate with that that fell into place for me, but um, I think having a, a good team um, around me, you know, I didn't consider it being on my own. I thought, oh, okay, who's who's on my team with this? Who are, yeah. who are my guys in this journey? And that really helped a lot. So I had I had the the, the professionals, but I also had a, a, my my wife. I had uh, my kids. My daughter happens to be a nurse as well, so I was able to chat with her. I had. Um, a close friend who'd been through the journey as well. So I thought, right, I'll gather this this team up around me. 
to support me in this journey and that gave me a lot of strength. Um, I think the, um, the, the taking time for mindfulness, meditation, things to connect with myself, um, it allowed me to um, uh, not panic, but just to, to trust, to trust in what was happening and to, to see, to trust in the bigger picture that, that the people I was going to meet, the experiences I was going to have, whether they were good or bad, um, they were going to help me in growing who I am as a person. And so um, um, I, th I think being able to just um, observe and not judge um, myself, not to get judging on a situation or, or my expectations of the future, but just look at my here and now and, okay, what's, where am I, where is this, What's this teaching me about life, about myself, about others, and where might the surprises be? Where might the joys be? Where might the, the you know, the, the the learnings be about who I am? Yeah, so that that would be um, some of the things <laughs> that I would suggest. Great. Well, thank you so much again, Picasso, for sharing with us. And um, yeah, I hopefully oh, I think you will definitely be an inspiration and hopefully give men who are just about to start this journey hope that it's not all doom and gloom so thanks very much thank you thank you very much i'm gonna tell you about a boy who lives inside me he's been there all of my life Hi, this is Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions and so much feedback. And Melissa and I are absolutely thrilled about this. What we'd really love you to do, though, is to share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download using your favourite podcast app or subscribe to the penisproject.org. You'll get a weekly email and new releases. And this helps our podcast to get more people. And if you write a review and subscribe as well, well, we'll get known more widely across the globe. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Women, just a mystery to me. I've got a boy of my own now. It fills me with pride to see him growing so fast into a man.